This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, fight fans, to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast Reviews. This is our review episode based on all the fights that have happened over the past couple of weeks. We've not been able to bring you a review episode per week because, as you're probably aware, if you follow the network, you know that we've been putting episodes out left, right and centre, career profiles, legendary nights, darker side of boxing. And most recently, we've been putting all of our content from all the other series-based episodes Back on to the original BTR Boxing Podcast feed, starting from the back catalogue, starting from the beginning of each series. Everybody that subscribes to that feed will get the benefit of all the episodes in that one place. So we hope that you do enjoy that. And it's the right decision for us, of course. I just think it'll be great for, for you guys to get the opportunity to find everything in this one feed, as well as being able to go into the bespoke feeds of Darker Side of Boxing, for example, and find the episodes that you want to listen to in that series i just hope it it works out well for you guys and it's a great deal of content to to go back through now for for you guys to listen to but going back onto the topic of conversation for today's episode it's all about the last couple of weeks boxing is back version two that is exactly what i'm going to call this episode because i remember (laughs) when we did the first version of it and we were thinking yes great boxing's back and then all of a sudden everything got suspended again it's now back once more Uh, for the past couple of weekends we've seen some events that have changed the landscape of the sport in just two weekends. There's been a couple of upsets that we're going to be discussing in the episode that has really changed the perspective on how matchmaking should happen going forward. And this is probably the main topic of the conversation throughout the episode is about matchmaking and and how well fights have been made over the past couple of weeks to spring these big upsets. And the biggest one happened a couple of weeks ago was... Josh Warrington, you know, we gave up his IBF title and he decided that he wanted to move forward in his career. And he took on 
a 21-2 and two fighter in Mauricio Lara, who, to the wider audience, is relatively unknown, and not many people would have thought Mauricio Lara would have brought anything to the table, other than the fact he's a really tough Mexican. Well, my God, he turned out to be a banger, and he turned out to be one of the toughest Mexicans I've ever seen. <sighs> Didn't he just? And, and you're, <laughs> you're right in terms of with Lara. Lara was... Uh... A guy that no one really knew too much about. I mean, when you look at his record, he lost his first fight, his first professional fight, on points, mind you. And then he was knocked out by an average guy. I think it was 5-1-1, one, one, uh, pretty average. Knocked him out, I think, in the first round. Um, but one thing you've got to remember is that it's always a gamble fighting someone that's fought on that Mexican circuit. They're always dangerous. Um, even if, you know, looking at his record, Lara hadn't fought anyone with any real note. It's a tough way to learn your trade. And I think Josh Warrington found that out <laughs> when he got beat by him. I mean, he's openly said he, he did, um, he overlooked him, uh, which was dangerous. You don't overlook any opponents, especially if you're stepping in the ring against an American, uh, against a Mexican. It is just uh, a silly thing to do. And I mean, he comes out of it with a fractured jaw, perf- perforated eardrum, uh, damaged shoulder. <sighs> I mean, it is. it wasn't just a defeat that was... A hammer blow for Josh. I think it was the whole night and, and the injuries afterwards as well. It was a very, very shocking moment, I think, for a lot of boxing fans. Nobody expected Josh Warrington to go in there and get dispatched the way he was. He was he was dispatched. He really was taken apart and picked apart. And I think one of the biggest learnings from it is you don't stand in front stand in front of a fighter like Mauricio Lara, who proved quite early on in the fight he was a hard puncher. You don't stand in front of him and continue to adopt them tactics that you've used against previous opponents that have been successful. You don't use them against a guy like that. And that's what Josh Warrington continued to do throughout the fight. He knocked down the first time in, what was it, round 3-4? And I was thinking to myself, wow, that was, that was really, really heavy. It was a really heavy knockdown. And I was surprised that it actually carried on from there. If that was Lara, the fight probably would have been stopped. If Lara would have got up the way Warrington got up, I think... It would have been stopped, but I think he was given the benefit of the doubt, Warrington, because he was the former champion. He'd relinquished his title and vacated it and decided he wanted to move forward from his career. And I think he was given the benefit of the doubt. Another question that a lot of people have posed after seeing him lose is, should he have been pulled out from from that fight? earlier than than what he was should his corner have pulled him out rather than you know him staying in there for the length of time that he did and that's another question I mean what do you make of of that as an overall what do you make of the questions that people have posed on social media I think um at first I sort of see I thought uh he has been given the benefit of doubt here Warrington because he's known to be a, a bit of a scrapper himself so if he gets put down I think his reputation was actually he's, he's helping for him to continue, I suppose. But then obviously the inevitable happened in the ninth and he ended up getting put down with a real bad stoppage. I did see a report that his corner were checking his eyes and all his faculties and just sort of making sure whether they felt or believed that he was any real serious problems with his health. And, and, and they felt that there wasn't. They felt that it was a knockdown. He, he's going to recover and then he were going to win the fight, and that was just how they, they see it. So you've got, at the end of the day, they know Josh won better than anybody else. They should have known that Warrington has overlooked a, a Mexican uh, that's fought in Mexico all his career. I think he fought in Argentina once. Other than that, they overlooked this guy. They really did. They should never have done it. I mean, Warrington put it down to a number of reasons in terms of why he lost this. He said, obviously, the 15 months out of the ring, he apparently reached f- uh, full peak fitness four weeks prior to the fight. 
And he said that he had a mental challenge with spending a week in a fight bubble. He found that difficult to do. And also, apparently, uh, it was a badly timed warm-up moments before his ring walk as well. So there was a number of elements that that built up to this defeat. And I think he needs to reassess it. Interestingly, though, he's actually come out and put pressure on himself for the scheduled rematch, which apparently is potentially they're, they're, they're putting a date out for August, September. And there's and mainly because crowds are probably going to be returning by then or some form of. And he said that he will retire if uh, he loses this fight. So he's put himself under even more pressure. But I actually think that's not a bad thing when it comes to Josh Warrington, because when he puts himself under that sort of pressure, it delivers the goods, which we've seen recently. And I think that's what he needs. He's that type of fighter. If he's fighting someone that he's not too sure about, doesn't, doesn't really feel like he needs to train as hard or just he could just sort of plod his way through a fight, which is very dangerous for any fight to everything like that. But I think with, with those elements that he's mentioned and the fact that um, you know he just wasn't mentally right in the head for the night, then um, you've got to give him a bye. And he's putting that pressure on himself. I mean, what do you reckon, Sean? You're putting that pressure on yourself. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, the first thing I'll say before I answer that question is it, it sounds like people are, well, it sounds like a lot of excuses. That's what I'm trying to get at. It sounds initially it does, like yeah. he's made a lot of excuses up for why he's lost that fight. And some of them are probably genuine. Some of them are just to add to the part of, of the fact that he cannot believe this has happened. And mistakes have been made this is as simple as that mistakes have been made people were moaning and groaning about various different things with josh warrington one of the biggest things i took away from that fight is yeah maybe there were a few elements uh, that you've mentioned there that he's come on social media or he's mentioned in interviews that were a factor in in him losing the fight but i suppose one of the other things were, were were the game plan the game plan on the night really really wasn't the right game plan against Mauricio Lara. Yes, okay, maybe they overlooked him. I can I can accept that. He was looking for big fights against Gary Russell Jr. But the problem with Josh Warrington, and I've, I've seen this for a while and I've predicted this will come at some point against somebody, is that he reminded me very much of when Ricky Hatton came on the scene and when he won his first world title against Costa Zou. He adopted a certain style for that fight that was so effective that it bullied Zou into retirement in his corner. And then from there, Hatton used them same tactics against everybody. They never changed the tactics. And that was the problem. That was the biggest problem going into, say, the Mayweather fight. Everybody thought that the tactics that he was using were going to work. They didn't work. Pacquiao, exactly the same. The only fight he did adopt his regime was the Pauli Malignaggi fight, where he boxed and he showed he could box. And that is the difference here. That's the comparison I'm trying to make for people is that Josh Warrington can box as well as put that pressure on the way he does. And I think if he would have stepped off and his corner would have told him to step back a bit and, and box, not slug it out with him, he probably would have had a little bit better success throughout the course of the fight. And maybe we might not be talking about it this way now. But again, it's learning. Everybody's got to make a mistake. Everybody's got to learn from their mistakes. This is Josh Warrington and his team's mistake to do what they've done, to go in there, overworked, maybe overprepared, uh, under-motivated, various elements to it. And I just hope that when he does come back, if he is going for an immediate rematch, that they make them necessary adjustments and he absolutely outboxes Lara and he shows why he was a world champion. He shows why he beat in the likes of Frampton and Selber and why he was so excited for, for, for English fans to see him move forward and fight the big fighters of the featherweight division. I genuinely hope that happens, but we'll see. Maybe that defeat will take something away from him. It's a, it's a bit of a punishing defeat, to be honest with you. So it'll either, it'll either make him 
or it'll break him. Yeah, and I think that's probably why he's making that decision to, to go straight in with an immediate rematch. Some fighters quite happily to sort of step aside and just uh, have, have another fight with someone else that's less dangerous, I suppose. But the fact is, is that once you, when you look at a performance and you're able to identify where you went wrong, then I can understand why you would want to take the rematch automatically because if you can just correct those adjustments and as you say, don't try and trade with this guy because... He found out <laughs> very quickly that Mexicans are just—they're just made a different way. Uh, Mexican fighters—I think it's just the way they throw their talk to throw their punches and the way their their punch resistance seems to be pretty decent as well. And the way they throw some of them shots is is punishing. And uh, if you're if you're not prepared mentally and physically for for a, a tough Mexican fighter, you're going to find out quickly. So hopefully, yeah, as you say, make those adjustments. And I'm I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't come to a situation where he is sort of really thinking about hanging up his gloves. So he gets that performance, wins that fight, and then moves on with his career. So let's move on to Zelfa Barrett and Kiko Martinez on the same card. Another great fight. It was a real, real tough test for Zelfa Barrett. One which on the cards he came through, and one that came with yet another shocking scorecard. We talk about it every single episode that we do these types of reviews on. There's always one stinker of a scorecard. And it was the Zelfa Barrett Kiko Martinez fight. It was a brilliant fight. Kiko Martinez, he came at it and he gives Zelfa Barrett all sorts of problems throughout the course of the fight. At the end of the fight, I felt Kiko Martinez probably should have won it. That was my initial reaction after watching the fight was Kiko Martinez, he's took this year. And then the second part of me in my brain said, I know boxing and I know exactly what's going to happen here. There's going to be a wide scorecard to Zelfa Barrett. And guess what? There were two wide scorecards to Zelfa Barrett. And it was ridiculous. And I can totally understand why Zelfa Barrett's team want to give Kiko Martinez the rematch. They want to get him back in there. And they want to prove that it wasn't just a big fluke. It wasn't just the fact that, you know, he was struggling and he lost that fight. It was the fact that he felt that they beat him. I could see why other people felt like Zelfa Barrett beat Kiko Martinez on the night. But I honestly walked away from it feeling like Zelfa's been beat here. He's, he's taking his second lot on his career and he's going to learn something from this fight. He's going to learn something regardless. Even though he got the, the nod on the night, he'll learn a lot from that fight. And this is exactly the type of fight that he needs to put him instead for what, ambitions they have for him going forward they have world title ambitions for Zelfa Barra to beat a former world champion a guy who he seems like he's been around forever he's 34 I remember when he beat Bernard Dunn all them years ago and yet he's still here and he's only 34 and yet he's still giving the likes of these youngsters like Zelfa Barra who's on the way up all sorts of problems what was your initial reaction when the bell went who did you think won the fight and then what did you think about the scorecard well, um, jumping to the scorecards, I mean, Steve Gray, Bob Williams, scoring it, what, 1-1-18, 1-1-11 in Barrett's favour was quite simply a joke. I mean, I mean, even Eddie Hearn came out and was uh, highly critical of both judges, which which was good to hear. It's just a shame that we've mentioned this before uh, with our wish list, why these judges can't come out. You've got two guys. What, what have they seen that everyone else hasn't? Because... It was no one one eighteen one one eleven card for Barrett. I mean, the other thing, Eddie, just just going away from for for a second, he did mention the fact that how we're going to bring decent fighters over to this country if we're producing scorecards. Like that. And I have to say, absolutely correct for, for him to have said that because that that will be a put off for some fighters. I mean, it was it was a good close scrap. It really was. It could have gone either way. 
Um, I, it could have been an, a round either way for each each guy as I watched it. And then as that bell rang, I didn't score it. I felt that it was a draw. I, I, I sort of, I would have edged towards Kiko. I would have just because he's he's the old gun and, and he's he's outwitted the young soldier, if you like. I don't know. Um, it was it was nice to see the vet teach him a few lessons. And I think that lesson would have been deservably. I think he probably deserved it just for that. Um, but a draw would have been a fair result. Uh, again, I mean, it was a good fight. It could have gone either way. You can argue either side here, can't you? I, I haven't yep. watched it again since, but there's so many, you know, different elements to a fight. It was it was to and fro, but just the scorecards. I mean, luckily it was a, a decent fight, and and sort of, you know, the fact that he's won. Some people can say one, yeah, so it, it, it's sort of okay, but it's not. They need to really look at this. I mean, it's just it's just not on show. It it just baffles me. It really does. I don't I don't get. How you get any scorecards? It was so close. Uh, I, yeah, I, don't, I really don't know. I, I'm, I'm just gobsmacked by the scorecards. But again, it gets overshadowed by the fact that, you know, whatever. If it had been a close decision, we could be saying, "Oh, Barrett's got through a tough fight there, and now we could move on." Or Kiko deserved that, and now the young guns gonna have another go at him, and then they could sort of move on with their careers. Instead, we're gonna get a rematch. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It was a good fight. So hopefully, we have another good one, and hopefully, the judging's a lot better. There's nothing much more to add to what we've previously discussed about the way the Board of Control should do something about this. He's falling on deaf ears completely. Even Eddie Hearn, you know, he has a good relationship with the British Boxing Board of Control. He has to, to be able to stage these shows. He has to have their referees. He, have to, he has to have their judges. He has to have their officials to do the shows. So he has to have a relationship to that level with him. So to him, for him to openly criticise them the way he did was, was good and it was positive. And it wasn't just all about him doing his promotional sale. It was about him saying, look, at the end of the day, he's the one that gets these fighters to come over to fight these British guys on our soil. How are these guys going to want to come over? How is he going to attract big fighters to come to England to fight one of our fighters if this is what's happening every single time? And that is the point he was making, and that's a valid point. We want to see big fights on our shores. We want to see him here. We don't want to see him in America. We don't want to see him in Saudi Arabia. We want him here, because when the crowds are allowed back in, we want to be there. We want to be ringside. We want to see these fights. How are we going to do that if these are the sorts of instances that are going to continue to happen? This is the bullshit part of, of why the British Boxing Board of Control do get a lot of shit and get a lot of stick for everything positive that they do. And they do a lot of things positive for the sport. There's them negative side of things. And the, this is one of the biggest gripes we've always had over the past 18 to 24 months. It just seems to be so much more prevalent than probably it ever felt like it was before. So that was the other, the other big fight on that particular card that I enjoyed. I did watch... Lee Wood and Reese Mould, and I thought that was a really good fight. Wasn't sure how that one would go down. Reese Mould was undefeated. Lee Wood had defeats on his record, losing to Jazza Dickens most recently. I didn't expect it to go down the way it did, and I suppose I probably underestimated Lee Wood in that fight. And he came out trumps, and he got the decision. He got the victory on the night, and it was it was it was good to see. It was good to see him get that stoppage win over over Reese Mould, and see that actually he's got something left in the tank there that shows he he's still a force in the featherweight division. That he can still have these great fights on the domestic scene. For for Reese Mould, a lot of people prior to the fight, was slagging the fact that he'd fought nobody. 
And I think that was probably the biggest issue with Reese Mould going into this fight was that if you look at the record of the fighters he had been in the ring with, there was not one fighter on that record that had a winning record. And and that's... It, sometimes it can be a hindrance, sometimes it isn't. Because sometimes you'll see the fighters make that step up in them fights and you see that they are really good fighters. But then on the other side of it, you get to see that actually the fighters have not learn what they needed to learn because they're not fighting guys that are always coming to fight and that's an issue when you're trying to progress throughout the levels so i think what will happen with reese mold now is he'll go away and his team will go actually we need more testing fights we can't just fight the eastern european bin men anymore we need to get these big fights in and at the moment the eastern european bin men have been retired back to their bin men roles because we're getting all the mexicans over on their mexican meat they're coming over and absolutely obliterating all the british fighters at the moment it's it's crazy it's a crazy landscape but it, it suppose just just going off on a tangent a, a minute there was a tweet that i put out a couple of days ago and it's something I've, I've felt like for a while about the way boxing's gone since it's returned i felt like you know I, i've enjoyed watching these really highly competitive fights. And yeah, some of the fighters that I've been secretly rooting for have lost. But I would rather these fighters, at this stage of their careers, get tested in this way than see them continue to fight overmatched opponents. The Eastern European bin men that I was referring to, I would rather see them lose to these Mexican guys and get such invaluable experience against them than just continue to whitewash the way through Eastern European fighters. That is just something that was struck stuck out to me so prevalently. And as we go through the rest of this episode, we talk about some of the other upsets and fights that have happened. It's become more evident to me that the matchmaking has seriously improved as a result of the pandemic. And it's something that I really want to continue throughout the course of the pandemic being over. Absolutely. It's only going to help the fighters develop into better fighters in the future for when they make the step up. It doesn't matter if you've had a couple of defeats. You just look at Lara's defeat, the first professional defeat on points. You know, he wasn't upset, knew on one, and then he went on a little run, got knocked out, continued again, went on another great run. It doesn't matter. Those two fights for him were learning curves for going into that Warrington fight. Warrington, for instance, was, you know, don't get me wrong, he's had some great fights himself, but his, his, knowledge now will be don't ever overlook any fighter whoever you fight and and the fact when you look at sort of Reese Mould uh, who had a really good start against Lee Wood um, I thought he'd come out of the blocks really fast got he got hit the deck in the fourth but then even then I thought what I did like from Reese uh, Mould was that after getting knocked down in the fourth he came back and won the fifth and for, for me I thought that that showed a lot of resilience that shows a good thing that's, that's something you know, his team will pinpoint and say, look, you got put down, but you come out and you, you, you edge that round. That's a great thing. Most fighters, when they get put down, are a bit nervous, a bit tentative, and then they don't ever really progress and, and try and win the round. So that was great from him in that respect. But then I think Lee, would, it was just his, his power that eventually was sort of won in the fight. You know, and, and, and what I did like from Lee Wood as well, big left hook in the knife, really hurt mold, and then he, he, he put his man away. You know, he, nice combinations to finish the job, which is great. That's what you want from from these guys, and they're both going to learn so much more going further further on in their careers. So I want to move forward to the 19th of February, Friday the 19th of February, the MTK show that was in Bolton. Uh, there's one particular fight I want to talk about. It's Gavin Gwynn and Sean McComb. Now, Gavin Gwynn, we've seen him twice step up over the past 12 months and twice been on the end of a defeat as a result. And I've enjoyed the fact that he stepped up. But this was a fight where, again, 
I think even I underestimated him, if I'm being honest. I thought Sean McCoon would actually probably take a decision over Gavin Gwynn. Uh, again, I was wrong, and I'm, I'm in a way I'm happy to admit it because I actually really like Gavin Gwynn. I've had him on the Ones to Watch podcast before, and I've been really, really enthused by the way he stepped up from that conversation I had with him what two years ago when he came on the podcast for him to go on to all these big TV shows and show that he is an absolute warrior, and for him to go in there and beat Sean McComb the way he did, he literally beat him into retirement. Sean McComb stepped away he turned his back on him now this again created more debate on social media about whether he quit again this is a conversation we had quite recently about Daniel Dubois which was slightly different because we knew that Daniel Dubois had fractured an eye socket afterwards but I didn't see the same level of of disrespect towards Sean McComb as I did against Daniel Dubois when Daniel Dubois essentially you know that's it I'm done I can't do any more Sean McComb just literally turned his back as he was getting shots thrown at him and it was just like he'd, he'd had the will beaten out of him by Gavin Gwynn. And it was like, right, you know what? I'll live to fight another day kind of mentality. And fair fair play to him. The only one comment that I've seen on social media that, that sprung up to my attention was O'Hara Davis. He made a comment about it because Sean McCoon had accused O'Hara Davis of quitting against Josh Taylor a couple <laughs> of years ago on social media. So O'Hara Davis was quick to jump on the bandwagon and say, well, hang on a minute, didn't you uh, Didn't you? Did, I, I, didn't you just quit in that particular fight? So it was, it was comical in some respects, kick a man while he's down, however you want to interpret that. I think he was just highlighting the fact that, you know, you don't go around calling people quitters when you don't know yourself. If you're ever going to be in a situation in the ring where you have to turn around and say, no, I can't do anymore. Well, this is it. This is it. You've got to be very careful when you start criticising other fighters on the circuit and you know you're still a professional yourself because it might happen to you. And we've seen that with Gavin Gwynn and, and that was fantastic performance from him. Again, I was with Sean. I felt that McCrum would just have enough and he'd have some hairy moments, I felt, and but inevitably he'd go on to win on points. But Gavin Gwynn, I mean, he's lost to Cordina and um, he lost to Tennyson. So two excellent fighters, excellent fighters on our shores. Um, I mean, Sean did well for early rounds for me. I think he probably edged sort of three out of four. And the, the, but it was the it was a moment in the fifth as I was watching the fight. It was, he got hurt, um, and and, it, and I think it was from that fifth round he was hurt and he didn't recover. And I think for, and Gavin was just relentless, wasn't he? He just yep. if, from the first bell he was relentless. Let's be fair. But what Sean was able to do was he was able to to box well. And I think just and it's, it's inevitable when you get to sort of those mid rounds. Another fight we'll talk about in a little while where. You're in control. This is where the, this is where your training comes into play. Your conditioning is vital when you're fighting a guy that's going to be a pressure fighter. If you believe you're the better boxer, which by all accounts, looking at other previous fights, I believe that Sean probably was the better boxer. But the will and desire of Gavin to just continually be relentless and be on your chest, somewhat, fighters will buckle under that pressure. And that's where I think the conditioning comes in and being able to... If, if you know you're a better boxer, it seems daft to me to spend a lot of time on, on technical stuff. When if you get yourself conditioned well enough, just accept the fact that you're not going to beat this guy by standing toe-to-toe with him. You've got to box. You've got to be on the move. You've got to throw combos. You've got to throw three or four shots, and you've got to be out of there. Don't be a hero and think that by hitting a few times and being on the move and not getting hit makes you a coward. It doesn't. Because inevitably, what that's what's happened to Sean is, is now people are calling him the coward because he's turned his back after being pummeled from that fifth round. I mean, 
it was a great performance from Gavin. And and I think, um, as you say, he beat a will out of Sean and he turned his back and, and he did quit. I mean, this time I will say he did quit because he beat it out of him. It weren't an injury sustained in the fight like Daniel, but I think you could clearly see that he just had enough and he decided, you know what, I ain't going to fight no more. Um, you've got to respect it, but people are going to criticise it, unfortunately. Yeah, you have got to respect the decision. At the end of the day, he's the one taking the shots. And if he wants to save himself for another day, then that's fair enough. And I did actually tweet something after the fight. Uh, I think it was a few hours or maybe a day after the fight about the fact that he's not the only one in his house anymore, that he does have children, that he has to remember that there's certain instances where you've got to remember, I've got a family here. I can't just let myself get yeah. the, shit, the shit beaten out of me, basically. So maybe he, he did he did, want to live to, he did want to live to fight another day. And that's fair enough. If he, did, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't be slated for that. I mean, I know people say oh, it's, it's the warrior. It's the art of the warrior. It's I'll die in the ring and, and, and all that sort of bravado that people do come out with at the end of the day you're going in there you're taking a huge risk with your life when you're getting shots to the head let's be honest are you going to take all that punishment from somebody some people will do it the big fights that we've covered for legendary nights gatty ward corrales castillo all these huge huge fights we've covered these guys beat the shit out of each other and it wasn't a case of them just turning away and walking away they do it till the end of the fight that's different it's a completely different people not everybody's the same not everybody can can swim in that deep water sometimes and sean mccoon was in deep water in his career for the first time and he decided to sink in this on this occasion rather than swim there's, there's no judgment against him from my side. Did he quit? Well, obviously, yeah, he walked away, he turned his back, that was it, he'd had enough of the fight. And and that's kind of where we sit on this one. Whereas Daniel Dubois, we didn't know what was going on with him. There was something not entirely right. And when it came out, what had happened afterwards, it was evident that was why he did what he did and why he didn't get up and why he decided to end that fight on his terms. Everybody's got their own logic behind why why they would end a fight. And now we've heard a, a, a little bit more after the fact about what happened in the McCoon-Gwynn fight. All credit to Gavin Gwynn. Great performance for him. Puts him right back up there now to get another big fight in the lightweight division. So I am looking forward to seeing what happens next for him. So what about Saturday the 20th of February then? The matchroom bill. Probably one of the best televised non-pay-per-view matchroom bills I've seen for quite a while. And I'll say that off the bat, and I'll give them the credit for that, because we do slate the cards when they're, when they're quite mish and mashed, in in the sense that it's just prospect versus journeyman for six fights and then one main fight. This was actually really highly competitive throughout, what, four out of the five fights? There was one fight, Johnny Fisher versus Matt Gordon, which initially seemed like a bit of a mismatch because Johnny Fisher destroyed Matt Gordon, but the other four fights on the card were absolutely brilliant. Going through the fights then, the one big... Well, there's two big upsets. I've only said one big upset. There's two big upsets, I think, here on the night. People might say otherwise. I'll let you give your thoughts on that in a little while. But the first one was Robbie Davis Jr. losing to another Mexican in Gabriel Galaz Venezuela. That was a absolutely great fight and a tale of two halves. Again, it felt like Josh Warrington's fight with Mauricio Lara. What did you make of that fight with Robbie Davis Jr. and Valenzuela? Yeah, Davis, I mean, he's, he's a, I do like watching him. I mean, he's always, I mean, look at the Ritson, the Lewis Ritson fight, a cracking fight. So you sort of know what you're getting with him. I think he's a better, he's a, he's a, he's a good boxer, um, Robbie. I, I really enjoy watching him when he's in full swing and he, and he can find the angles and, you know, he, he's got a, a, enough about him, but he has this, he has this thing in him where he just has to fight. Um, <laughs> I mean, I am knocking it because he's very entertaining to watch. Uh, you know, I, I love to watch guys 
go at it and, and, and trade shots. I do appreciate it when guys are able to box well as well. So I just think for me, I think that's the thing with Robbie Davis. I don't know what you think, Sean. I think Robbie Davis Jr. has got so much talent. I just think he, he, he gets himself into this. He's got this habit where he just wants to trade. And um, and he allows his opponents to come back into fights, and and he ends up being a great fight. It tends to be early on. It's not like he boxes the guy for six, seven rounds, boxes his head off, and then just fatigues. It's not necessarily that. I just think he just he just loves to have a have a, have a tear up, um, which I think is his downfall. If he if he could just box a little bit more, uh, like we know he can, then he, he probably would have won this fight quite comfortably. Um, and that was what I felt when I watched it. But I, I don't know about you. I mean, all credit to. To Venezuela, who um, it, you know, you sort of know what you're going to get at times with with some of these guys that come over. Not like the your uh, your, ta- your taxi drivers, as you were saying, but these tough Mexicans. You, they just they just bring that that natural ability to be able to throw a hard punch and take and just have the resistance to take punishment themselves, which which makes great fights. Um, I'd like to see it again personally, um, but yeah, I, I just think I think Robbie just needs to, I don't know, just just maybe it's a mental thing he just likes to engage too quickly when he doesn't need to well I think with the Robbie Davis Jr. fight against Valenzuela I think one of the things that was evident in the fight was it didn't seem like he was comfortable boxing the way he was boxing it felt like he was just going in there and and taking chances constantly and I think he needed to switch up his game plan I think the game plan that he had that he was given by Dominic Ingle wasn't working and there seemed to be a little bit of confliction in the corner as to how this should play out over the course of the fight. And as as it started to get tougher in and deeper into the fight, you could see that it's like all he has to do is just switch. If Robbie Davis Jr. switched the tactic when he did momentarily, he looked like he was getting to Valen- Valenzuela. And that was something that was evident to a lot of people watching the fight that if he switched his tactics midway through, he would have got more success. But he continued to box away. He was boxing throughout the fight, and it, and it didn't pay off at all for him. It, it was, again, it seemed like the wrong tactics, very much like Josh Warrington. Mm. The wrong tactics were employed to go through the course of the fight. I think if they would have switched it midway through, I think we would have seen a different ending to this particular fight. Again, learning experiences. Can they learn from this? Well, certainly they can. Robbie Davis Jr. is a good boxer. He's a very good boxer. Like you say, he has this tendency to want to get stuck in. You can't do it with certain fighters. There's certain fighters you cannot get in the middle of and you cannot get close to them and you cannot rough and tumble out and out-hustle them on the inside. A Mexican fighter is stereotypical of this type of style. You can't do it. You can't out-hustle a hustler. It's as simple as that. And that's what he was trying to do. And that's why it was so frustrating as a fighter fan to watch, to think to yourself, just change it up a little bit. Just just use your angles. Just step off. What what are you doing? And I'm sat there watching thinking, come on, this is what you need to do. I'm not a boxing coach. I'm not qualified to be a boxing coach. But it was just pretty evident that he needed to make that change to change the way this fight was going. I hope he comes back and I hope he gets another opportunity to, to fight another tough fighter like Valenzuela, who will now go on and probably get a a decent fight in his next fight. This was for a vacant International Boxing Federation Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. The bullshit titles that we talk about, yeah, (laughs) yeah, one of them, yeah. It gives people the opportunity to get onto the IBF rankings. So that gives Valenzuela that opportunity now. And this is what Robbie Davis needed was that win to get him up there. So I'll keep an eye on it. I'll be interested to see sort of how things play out there. Another fight on this card then. That was really, really good. It was Florian Marku and Ryland Charlton. 
great fighter in the welterweight division. Florian Marku, the Albanian bear. There's a lot of hype around him at the moment. He's come over from kickboxing. He was a fantastic kickboxer. And he's a boxer who's got seven wins and one draw in his record. His fight with Jamie Stewart the last time out was where people started to think maybe he has got these fragilities in his arsenal that are going to prevent him from, from being a top-level welterweight. But he's adamant. He's got the confidence. He believes he's going to go on and, and smash guys like Conor Ben up. He's, he's, he's calling Conor Ben out constantly. But Ryland Charlton, who's naturally uh, a light welterweight, give everything he had and obviously dropped Florian Marker in the fight. Uh, give us the opportunity to see what Florian Marku was all about when his back's against the wall. And he came out and he won the fight. And I must say, it was really, really good corner work from Ryland Charlin's corner to pull him out when they did because he was starting to take a bit of a systematic beating. And it was good to see the corner go, right, you know what? We're going to save our man for another day. You've had enough. Let's pull you out. And and that's I mean, something we keep saying is... It is down to the corner to know their fighters, and you know if you're taking punishment, that there's no need to. A defeat is a defeat. It's no biggie. You, you, you would have learned a lot in those eight rounds, and, and know that they can pinpoint certain aspects of his fight where he needs to improve on. And you know, Marku is, you know, he's a tough guy. I mean, you can see that he's clearly got some power in his pop, and and and, and you know, the last thing you need to do is, is have Charlton really badly injured. You know, albeit it was it was it was at times as well. I mean, when you think about it, I think I think Marku had pretty much dominated the fight up to that point as well. Um, is there any point in, in in sort of continuing? Are you going to knock him out? All right, it did get put down. I mean, that's the one thing you'll say is maybe Charlton will be looking at going like I had him. Um, you know, if in that sixth round, maybe he should have really stepped on the gas and tried to finish him off. But Marku showed a, a great ability to come back and, and and eventually stop him himself in the next round. So. Uh, you know, it's just a great learning curve for Ryland Charlton. Um, but Marco, yeah, he seems like a bit of a character, doesn't he? As well, um, did he did he catch the towel put on his head as well? <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Uh, actually, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't mind that sort of thing. It's quite comical. Um, so you know, it, 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 it's going to be, be interesting him and Conor Ben because they've got a lot to say by the sounds of it. So they'll have uh, they'll be interesting more words before they even fight each other. So uh, I can I can see that fight being made, no doubt. Do you think so? Because Conor Ben was on the punditry and he was saying, well, I'm past that level now. I'm past that level. And yeah, Oh, really? He, yeah, that's what he was saying. You, obviously, you didn't get a chance to right. see that bit, but he was saying to uh, to Anna Woolhouse and Johnny Nelson that, you know, look, I'm, I'm past that level. When I was at his level, I'd be calling people out like me. And that's what he was saying. He, I think he's... I think he's sort of saying, look, I'm not going to take the fight. But I think if the public demanded it for any reason, I think he'd go for it. Imagine them two going at it. Oh, man, that'd be Great. that'd be immense, wouldn't it? That'd be immense. But I suppose we've got to move into the main event because it, it ties nicely in, really, with the main event because it's another welterweight clash that we that we went and had a great pleasure of viewing, which was David Avenincian and Josh Kelly for the European title. Avenincian had won that title off Kerman Lejaraga, who was the knockout artist from Spain. Avenincian dispatched of Lejaraga and then beat him in the rematch. So we knew that he was no joke. We knew he'd fought Shane Mosley a few years before. We knew he was at a certain level in his career. And it was a case of whether Josh Kelly was getting him at the right time. It, it wasn't the right time for Josh Kelly. Everybody knows now the result of this, and I'm sure you've you've watched this a few times and seen how this fight's gone down. But this is our chance to really dissect it and discuss how we how we felt about this fight. 
I actually predicted this fight to be a draw. When we did our prediction, Lee Johnson, I said a draw because I had this fe- <laughs> I had this feeling that you know it'd be a tale of two two halves, and it, it was really, but it, it ended. <laughs> the fight the fight was ended by another corner stoppage by the corner throwing in the towel and knowing when their fighter had had enough in Josh Kelly. Josh Kelly started out really sharp, really great, throwing them shots in, getting out, making Avenintian miss. But as the fight wore on, you could see that Avenintian was starting to close the gap, starting to get in, get these little sneaky shots on in the inside. These little sneaky body shots were really starting to break down Josh Kelly midway through the fight. And that's when I seen the tide turn. And then Josh Kelly's elusiveness, his style, his slickness, it all started to evaporate really, really quickly. And it's like he got swallowed into this black hole and didn't know how to get back out of it again. And that's the that's the best metaphor I can use for describing how this fight went down and how it finished. People were saying, was this too soon for Josh Kelly? A lot of other people were saying that Josh Kelly was going to put on a masterclass on the night, and he didn't. So there's, there's mixed reports of how people felt about this particular fight. I always had a feeling David Avenintian would be a really, really difficult night, and I predicted a draw. Could I have seen a stoppage for Avenintian? Yeah, I could have done, if you would have asked me beforehand. Could he have seen Josh Kelly winning this with a masterclass performance on points? I probably could have seen that too. But what we got to see was a fighter that took a step up a little bit too soon. Yes, he had all this Olympic pedigree and amateur pedigree, but sometimes it's not enough to get in there and go in the trenches and dig deep with a fighter who is clearly ready for a world title shot again. Oh, mate, absolutely. I think that is a perfect explanation of how the, felt, how the fight went. I mean, even uh, I did see something from Kevin Mitchell when he was sort of saying, when are we going to learn not to start throwing our Olympic stars, uh, gold medalists or medalists in straight in the deep end too quickly. I think that's a pretty um, good point from Kevin Mitchell there. And, and I think that, that that Josh Kelly, I, I think you just look at Avienzian's record. Um, you can see he's no mug. Um, he, he, he's got some power. You know what he's going to bring. That's the one thing about Ava. You know, he's going to, He's going to force the fight. He's going to put pressure on you. You know that. There's not even, you don't even need to go technical with it because you know what he's going to bring. It's a matter of, has Kelly got the boxing skills to do it? Yes, he has. So clearly, that 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 is standard. I mean, he's a natural, a natural fighter. He's a natural boxer, I should say. The problem with Kelly, uh, Josh Kelly, is that his conditioning. That's always. I mean, if you look at the Ray Robinson fight, and and he he faded in that fight and sort of hugged that the corner for for long moments of that fight and let Robinson start just popping off on him, and. That was the reason why I thought Avienzian would eventually stop him. I thought it'd be a lot later. I was surprised that it happened as early as it did, because I thought Kelly had a little bit more than that. So I have to question the conditioning part of things. And again, I mean, I keep saying it, but you know, I, I recently read a, a, a part of Alex Ferguson's book, and I know it's football related, but when Man United used to score them late goals, you know what he used to put it down to? He used to condition his players, and to the point where when you're in in that peak where you make the right decisions. And I think that is the problem. I, th- I might be wrong. I, I'm, 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 you know, you look at Alaminta. Alaminta was another one. He'd conditioned himself for 15 rounds solid, even if he weren't going that far, because you're going to make the right decisions when you're in trouble. And, and I think that is the problem. I think that was a downfall. Well, he came in pretty big as well, Kelly. Was that a tactical thing in terms of if I come in big, I might have an extra bit more power to get rid of Avientian? I, I, just, I don't know. I, I looking at it on the outside. I like. I'm no coach. You know, we, we look at a lot of boxing through throughout history, um, and and I just think that it's a vital part. It's just back to the basics. Get yourself into peak position, 
uh, peak condition where, you know, you've got the natural ability, you can just outbox your man. But saying that, maybe it was just too much of a step up for Kelly and maybe just needs more time. Well, my, my thought was that Josh Kelly now needs to step back down to the domestic division, as in the British title division, yep. and go through some of the fighters in there. Conor Benny's at welterweight. Conor Ben, Josh Kelly, what a fight that would be. That would be, that'd be a great fight for him because that would be a similar style to David Evanincian, yep. someone who's going to put it on you, but he's not at Evanincian's level yet, Conor Ben. So Josh Kelly could jump straight back in the mix with a fighter of a similar style and go at it and, and learn from the mistakes, be conditioned fully for the fight, learn not to trade too much on the inside, learn to step away when he needs to. And, and this was some of the stuff that was evident against Evanincian, that there was a guy in there that had that extra step, that extra bit of oomph that he needed to, to finish this fight in style and he did and he, again I've got to give credit to Adam Boove in the corner for, for stopping the fight when they did because it was the right thing to do stopping that fight will now save Josh Kelly for another day and hopefully won't ruin his confidence too much going into his future fights I'd like to see him step back down to welterweight in the welterweight division we've got guys like Conor Ben we've got guys like Lewis Ritson who's up there now we've got guys like Robbie Davis Jr who, who are up in the welterweight division now there's a lot of great welterweights around that Josh Kelly I think needs to go back in with they've stepped him up a little bit too soon I know we complain about fighters not being stepped up soon enough sometimes but because of his Olympic background because of what he's done he's 11 fights in and he's fighting a guy who's a former interim world champion who has beaten a formidable European champion to win the title in the first place I think it was a step too far for him. I think he wasn't ready for it. I think maybe they'd not faced anybody like him. They'd not had a style like that at all. Would they have had anybody in camp that would have replicated it? I would have thought so. But did they really? And there's a lot of questions that are asked. And I think it's, for me, the, the logical step for him is to move back down in terms of levels, work his way through some tougher fights with the domestic scene, and then step back up again. Avanintian, without a shadow of a doubt, deserves a world title shot now. And I would love to see him fight someone like Terrence Crawford or Manny Pacquiao next. I think he deserves an opportunity now at that world level once more in his career, because he's coming into the twilight of his career now. So this is a great opportunity for him to move forward going yeah. into the, the, the later years of his career. So there's one more fight we want to cover in this episode before we wrap it up. Um, and the biggest fight of the weekend, that I felt like it went under the radar. I felt like people weren't talking about it as much as what they should have been talking about it. It's one of the fights that you spoke about on the Boxing Wishlist episode that we did. And it was Oscar Valdez versus Miguel Bachel. This was a fight that was going to deliver on all levels. Oh my God, did this fight deliver on all levels? <laughs> well, if we'd have done a, a review show, I would have picked Miguel by knockout. I, I just felt that looking at um, what he had produced sort of over the last few years, I felt that it was that was the way it was going, or it's going to go either way. I mean, look, end of the day, look, I'm a huge admirer of both these Mexican warriors, but, you know, it was inevitable. One of them's going to go at some point, and it was going to be within the distance. But the manner of which Valdez dispatched <laughs> Bircher was stunning. It really was, wasn't it? I mean, I mean Bircher's proven himself as a ferocious puncher, and I believe he stopped... 15 of his last 16 opponents uh, before this fight. I mean, that's remarkable. And he's fought some legitimate, tough junior lightweight or super featherweight, however you want to pronounce it. And, and and the other thing is Valdez was a newcomer to the division. He hadn't really demonstrated the power that we had witnessed uh, from Bert, Bert Schultz. So I just assumed, you know, looking at statistically, um, you know, which is something you should probably should never do when it comes to boxing, is that 
you know, it, it's, it's Valdez, is he going to have the power? The fact is, Adam Lopez put Valdez down as well in his first outing in this new weight division. Um, and for me, that, that, that sort of tipped the scales in Birchin's favour for me when I was sort of predicting this fight. But what a superb finish. I mean, that was, um, it reminded me of when Pacquiao got knocked out that time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was that good. Just, just the way he was floored out, flat down on his face. Uh, stunning, stunning performance from Oscar Valdez. Yeah, great performance from I me. Mean, I predicted he'd win in rounds 10 and 11. So I, I nailed that one right on the head. I was chuffed with Bang that one. Head. I just had a feeling he would. I just had a feeling Oscar Valdez would win this fight. I don't know why. I don't know what it was. I felt like Bachelt maybe... Maybe he just didn't have enough pop to keep a guy like Oscar Valdez of, and and that's exactly what happened. Really, he didn't have enough. He didn't have enough power to keep a Valdez of. Valdez, we've seen him walk through a lot of these fires, walk through the punches, and continue to come forward. And that is why he's had the success he's had. How long that will last for remains to be seen. When he does get another huge fight, and that's all I want to see for him now. I want to see huge fights for Oscar Valdez. He has proven that he is an elite fighter in this division, and that he needs now these big unification fights he's got the wbc title the way i see this now for oscar valdez is he's got he's got he's 30 years old he's he's classed as the the number one super featherweight in the world box record put him up at number one now so that's quite interesting that they've got him there and the only other fighters in the division is someone we've not talked about yet jojo diaz Tevin Farmer, Cal Frampton, Shakur Stevenson. Now, the Shakur Stevenson fight is one that probably interests me quite a lot because I think that would be a, a very interesting fight for Shakur Stevenson at this stage of his career. He's 15 fights in, 23 years of age, uh, and currently he's in the position where he's ready to go forth for a, a world title. And I think this would be an amazing fight, but again, would it be too soon for Shakur Stevenson? Who knows? Frampton Valdez, man, if Frampton gets through Herring, Bloody hell, that'd be a cracking fight, Frampton and Valdez. There's, there's so many, so many possibilities now for Oscar Valdez in his career that I am genuinely looking forward to to seeing where they do take him next. I think this is just showing that he is a force to be reckoned with, and he dispatched Bachelt the way he did. Oh my word, it was a knockout highlight reel for sure. If you've not seen it please go and check this out. Uh, just to touch on a couple of other fights briefly before we do wrap this episode up, Otto Volin, former Tyson Fury opponent, he beat Dominic Brazil on points, a unanimous decision. Uh, I've seen the highlights of it, and I've seen that Otto Volin is definitely in the mix for a world title, but I just don't think he'll ever win a world title. It's a catch-22. Otto Volin should get a world title fight, yes, but will he win one? Probably not, not unless it's a vacant one. That's the only way I would see him winning a world title. Adrian Broner was also on the same undercard. And by all accounts, I've not seen this, so I'm just speaking of by other people's accounts of this fight, that he should have lost that particular fight and that he just he looked pretty poor on the night. And that is what most people are saying about Adrian Broner. I think he... He is one of them fighters where I just think to myself, he has he's got so much potential, or he's had so much potential. But he's he's I seen a statistic the other day where he's he's one of only four fighters to win titles in I think it's 130 pounds, 135, 140, 145, 147, and the other fighters that stood alongside him in the infographic was Oscar De La Hoya, Manny Pacquiao, and Floyd Mayweather. And these are the types of people he's been put in the category of of winning titles in different weights. But yet. 
all we see is this guy who's just wasting his career and that looks like he's on the complete downslide. He could have been the next Mayweather. People thought he was going to be the next Mayweather, but look at his career. He's just been so versatile, so mixed, that you just wonder what Adrian Brown is going to turn up. So it, apparently he should have lost his fight to Giovanni Santiago. I've not seen it. I'm sure people can give us a comment and let us know what you thought about that fight. If I get a chance to, to see it, I will have a quick look on it. Uh, the other fight on that card was Robert Easter Jr., Ryan Martin, Robert Easter Jr. picking up the win there. And, and for me, that, that sums up the last couple of weeks of boxing, really. There are other fights that we've not touched on in detail. We will go through some fights for the next episode, because Canelo's got his fight coming up against Avery Yildirim. We'll try and get a big fight preview out for that if we can. If we can't, we will do a reaction show to it. Johnston, it's been a pleasure to be back, and hopefully with the lockdown seemingly coming to an end over the course of the next couple of months, we might actually get to go and see boxing ringside again. Cool. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it, if we could actually go to a, go go boxing and, and actually watch a fight um yeah actually actually get some crowds back in it's going to help those those small hall nights especially and that the phases are in place now um let's just hope that we can uh bring those numbers down for covid and, and actually get into a position where we can go to these fights I, I mean it'd be amazing it really would and as you say we've got got a big i say a big fight got canelo he's a big fighter i wouldn't say it's a big fight um, but with you, Jim, you never know. Um, <laughs> I mean, if anyone uh, wants to um, <laughs> take a huge gamble here and, and stick some money on you, Jim, then uh, yeah, be my guest because I'd say it's going to be a comfortable night for Canelo. Um, <laughs> but just 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 saying that uh, Oscar Valdez, though, I mean, when you was reading off some of the possible opponents. One day sprang to out. Imagine him and uh, Javante Davis. What a oh, fight that would be. Oh, yeah. That, that, that would be a fight, wouldn't it? That's one that I've completely <sighs> overlooked. Man, that would be an amazing fight. Oscar Valdez, he's definitely, he's probably uh, the, uh, he gets the award for probably the best knockout of the year today and possibly of the year, Absolutely. even though we're only in February. That's one of the greatest knockouts I've ever seen, just the way it all ended. Oh, man. Oscar Valdez, he, he certainly delivered on the night and I hope we've been able to deliver our reactions to all these fights that have happened over the past couple of weeks. A big shout out to all the patrons, all the listeners to the episodes, the people that have been messaging us, just letting us know they wanted to hear our thoughts on some of these fights. Thank you. This is the reason why we've we've done this episode. And of course, please go and follow us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, the BTR Boxing Podcast Network on Facebook and BTR Boxing Podcast on Instagram. Go and check out all our content on the available platforms go and see all the latest episodes of the different series as always we appreciate all the support that we're getting and we'll be back soon for another episode to discuss some of these fights maybe maybe we'll see some more upsets who knows fight fans thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.